sit in her shoes. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and uh, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Thank you so much for making the time for us. I'm uh, really excited for the conversation. I think there's going to be so many golden nuggets just in uh, in the stuff that we're going to talk about. We've obviously been speaking a little bit uh, pre-pressing record here. And so uh, I'm, I'm really excited for for me, but also for the audience as well to kind of hear some of your, just your advice and your experience. Because yes, we've spoken about kind of your career journey and your trajectory. Um, and I think you think that it's quite uh, quite a normal, maybe uh, a linear pathway, but actually it's, qu it's quite phenomenal some of the things that you've been able to achieve. And so I'm excited to get under the hood of some of those experiences and, and hear some of your highlights and, and maybe some challenges as well. But I always really like to start in the early years because I think that that's where a lot of our ambition is formed uh, and it's very much kind of the genesis for the person that, that you are today. So where did you grow up? I grew up as a first-generation immigrant. I moved to the States, when I say States, the U.S., um, yeah. where I'm based. I moved to the States from Beijing, China, when I was five years old. And we were first generation. Uh, we came to the States with very little in our pockets, uh, very humble beginnings. But luckily, my parents, they were both professors in China. And so education was always a centerfold for us, for the family, and important for me throughout my upbringing. Mm -hmm. I was able to go to various public schools that were top tier public schools um, in Southern California. Um, and then I went on to go to UC Berkeley in Silicon Valley. And at UC Berkeley, I studied business. And when I was in college um, at the time, when you studied business, there was sort of a couple of pathways we called the ABCs accounting, banking, and, and consulting. So I thought about what am I good at? I'm good at math. I'm good at critical thinking analysis. Um, I want to work with a lot of different companies and industries. So I chose banking um, and banking also happened to be one of the most prestigious type, type of career paths when I was graduating um, out of our undergraduate business program at the time, uh, which is called Haas at UC Berkeley. And so I launched into this uh, career uh, at Morgan Stanley's technology investment banking team, right on the famous Sand Hill Road. And I covered everything from later stage private companies to blue chip IP, pre, post IPO, pre IPO companies. Um, and I stayed there you know, for two years and as an investment banking analyst um, in the tech group. It was pretty broad. We covered things in hardware, software, clean tech, you name it. And that's when I really fell into um, this, you know, career in tech in the beginning of, of, of my path. Um, from there, I moved to New York and I worked at a growth equity firm called General Atlantic, which is also very technology focused. I was there for another two years as an associate. Um, what we like to call that is the two plus two, two years as analyst, two years associate. And after I'd done my two plus two, I felt, hey, I need to do something that's not necessarily just finance, sitting behind a you know, desk job. Right. What I really love is actually working with management teams. 
and working yeah. with executives and working on transactions and giving um, advice to companies and the research component of it. So um, I moved from these traditional finance roles into an operator role. I actually went to a small startup myself. Um, it was uh, a CFO and head of business development, but really I did everything. Um, so getting, you know, on the other side of the table was very interesting for me as well. And from that startup experience, I also experienced fundraising and venture mm -hmm. capital for the first time at a personal level when we were raising funds for the startup. And from there, I went into venture capital, which I have been in for about the last 10 years or so. Uh, and I've done that at Seed Invest, where I led the venture capital team. Uh, I was at SAP, where I helped launch a corporate ventures innovation team, which is where I met Lamise. And yes. then I am now at Diageo, um, also on the ventures team. And so Diageo, you know, you might be asking, uh, why, why do we do ventures? This is like a Fortune 500 right. uh, CPG global brand. Yeah. A lot of these uh, top corporations actually have a corporate venture capital team internally where we invest into startups and different types of innovation that mm -hmm. helps us grow uh, inorganically because we know we can't just rely on the, our existing products or existing roadmaps. We actually need to bring in some new ideas um, some founders, some emerging opportunities that can really amp up what we are doing internally. You you speak about, and I'll I'll jump back in a moment, but we've, we're on the topic of Diageo now, and it's it's interesting because obviously we met during your time at SAP, and I know how much value uh, that program can add to startups. So in terms of you know, right now at Diageo, what are the things that are happening that are exciting you kind of, kind of in that business? Yes. So at Diageo, I uh, oversee our North America ventures activities. And when we have, uh, you know, when it comes to venture capital at Diageo, we, of course, we invest in beverages first and mm. foremost. Uh, but we've also very excitingly launched a technology startup accelerator program. So I'll talk about both. On the beverage side, we have um, a group called Distill Ventures. Um, you can check them out, uh, distillventures.com. Uh, we have this group there that's a 30-person team that helps Diageo Ventures do everything from sourcing end-to-end to post uh, investment portfolio management. And I closely work alongside that team, um, oversee their work, and we're able to invest in really incredible beverage companies, both in the alcohol and non-alcohol space. Um, and the stages we invest in typically are, you know, brands that have had seen some traction are getting attention, maybe have won some awards, in some of the traditional categories like whiskey, mm -hmm. uh, tequila, some uh, aperitifs now, uh, but we're also in non-alcohol as well. And uh, there's a British company that Diageo Ventures we invested in called Seedlip, and they were actually, we invested in them pre-launch. We helped them grow into a 
level that then Diageo acquired. And now oh, wow. they're one of Diageo's core brands. And they're one of the brands that launched the non-alcohol spirits category. So, hmm. you know, really interesting story there. Um, so we're looking towards those trends and non-alk, low-alk as well. What's exciting is we are also doing earlier stage now through Distill Ventures. We have um, a program called the Pre-Accelerator, which is for underrepresented founders. We invest three to 500K into smaller, earlier stage brands there. Is just realize uh, some of the portfolio, some of the brands out there aren't representing the general population. Yeah. And so we would love to have more female um, founders, founders of color, LGBT um, to come in and, you know, they need the access to the network and the capital and the resources and the expertise that we can help them with. Um, and so we're launched, you know, we launched pre-accelerator to help with earlier stage companies as well. And, and then. I was going to say that, uh, that that's really awesome. Just on that piece there, if there is, uh, you know, female founders currently listening to this and they are, you know, in the midst of, they've got the idea in their head, they're, you know, they've, they've got product market fit. They think they've got some validation. What do you think are the important steps that are needed, especially at that early stage to, to gain uh, interest from venture capital like yourselves? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, of course, having a startup these days, launching startup, um, the kind of barriers to entry are, are pretty low. So there's a lot of companies out there. Um, but I think if you can really create the right uh, business plan, business model, idea, ideate the right product, mm. be a, have an edge in whatever it is that you're building, whether you're the donate, domain expert in, in that particular industry where you're building the product, whether you have this family rich heritage or, you know, for example, some of our brands, uh, we have a tequila brand that, you know, she's launched it because she's um, Mexican-American and her father and her launched yeah. this brand together. Like there needs to be something there that differentiates you from all of the other founders that might be starting something similar or the same or even very established incumbents that mm -hmm. have a, a product in place that you think you can come in and disrupt. And so you know, when you're thinking about starting that business, you really have to have um, that special sauce um, because if you can't show, show a VC, an investor, you can't tell the story, um, it, it, that doesn't come across, um, it's very easy for an investor to pass. So I would say it's that, you know, that story, that unique selling proposition, you as an individual, your founders, your team, mm. the market potential, the product are all extremely important to nail down before you say, I'm going to, Hey, I'm going to, you know, uh, go all in because you really yeah. should um, have all of those elements because it takes a long time to build those elements up into the right kind of package and story to build up uh, a, a startup that can achieve success. It's such great advice because I do think that you probably need to, um, you know, 
test and learn a little bit, maybe fail a little bit and then iterate and pivot because what you're doing in that process is you're kind of carving out and you're finessing your craft by the time at which point you're then in front of the investor in that boardroom, you know, you're solid. There's no wobbly knees. You're, you're ready and confident to kind of yeah. deliver that pitch. Right. Yeah. And I would say women, uh, female founders get scrutinized uh, a bit more. There might be more questions to your credentials, to your abilities, to your time commitment. All of these things do happen as a female founder. So I would just be prepared for that and be very buttoned up, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and also make sure that, yeah, you're creating really solid first impressions. And you're also approaching people that are going to be friendlies um, or champions of you. It doesn't even have to be uh, an investor up front. It could just be folks that could be good advisors for you that are serial entrepreneurs or operators, because those are also connections that build into investor connections Mm -hmm. before you're ready for that potentially. Which brings me on actually to another question, because when I think about um, women founders, but also women of color founders uh, and the networks of VC and the circles that you kind of have to run in to make sure that you're getting the right attention, what would you say is like a, a great place to start for a maybe a first time entrepreneur or first time founder? Because it is hard to break mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot of resources, but um, some of the things I mentioned earlier about just creating the right kind of business model and plan, mm. having that in place. Um, it's important if you can try to find a founder, a co-founder as well, or a partner to help you because it is a long, long lonely journey mm-hmm. otherwise. Um, but there are a lot of resources. There's a lot of the, you know, for example, earlier stage accelerator programs, there's mm. pitch competition, there's grants, yes. there's um, certain, you know, regional economic incentives. And there's even sort of like the, when you said the test and trial, if you have a product, an opportunity to try it out and on a crowdfunding platform and see how people receive that through like Kickstarter, for example. Mm. So I think there's a lot of ways to kind of test the waters also before you go all in on something. And a lot of times, you know, having these advisors and and close circle of champions, you can kind of trust and, and get their feedback uh, get a feedback on the products and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, some some of that can also come at the accelerator level. A lot of it, early stage accelerator programs, um, for example, like Y Combinator, they they don't really bet on the products. They bet yep. on the founders. They bet on the teams that come in because they they're actually looking for people that are nimble and coachable and can pivot if the economy changes or the product isn't getting the right customer attention or acquisition. So um, it's about trying also those type of opportunities um, as well. Do you think, you know, you're 
earlier years, when was the moment that you thought venture capital is something I'm really interested in and, you know, I, I'm going to try this out or was it, was it a passion? Yeah, the interest in venture capital actually came from interest in working with startups. In the fast-paced rhythm of life, every moment counts. I know we're all navigating through the challenges of a demanding day, from meetings to team requests, to keeping up with group chats, to dinner plans, staying in touch with family and everything in between. Amidst the chaos, we need our secret weapon. Huel, your meal in a bottle. These bottles are not just shakes, they're moments of efficiency and goodness. It's the perfect companion for any woman on the go for the women who lead and those who demand more from each moment. Huel's ready to drink shakes because every sip should empower your story. Let's get back to the episode. So when I was even at Morgan Stanley Mm. in the investment banking group, we had a chance to work with some later stage startups. And I always found that more fascinating than working with these big public um, established mature companies I like the earlier stage. And then, I, you know, when I went to New York, I worked at a growth equity firm where there were earlier stage um, companies. And then I went to work at a startup because I was so curious about what it's like to be at a startup. And from all those experiences, I realized I like exposure to working with many different startups, uh, not necessarily just one not necessarily uh, late stage, but on the earlier stages. And I really enjoy the ability to sit with founders and their teams and figuring out how to help them scale to the next level. And that's, that's kind of what I've always been interested in. My career path is, like you said, somewhat linear, but also somewhat not linear, but what's been a common thread is I've worked with a lot of management teams over mm. time. And I find that the startup management teams are the most dynamic. There's the most ability to challenge and test and pivot and try new things that mm. larger companies, you know, big, big corporations cannot do. And that's actually why big corporations want to work with startups yeah. because we don't always have the opportunity to do it ourselves. Hmm. And the opportunity comes in all kinds of forms and shapes when it, when it comes to startups, whether we do the investment with them, whether we do the partnership or pilot contract with them, whether we do a joint venture, whether we do an integration you know, there's just so many possibilities with startups. Right. You, if there was, you know, if there was a person listening to this who was thinking, I, you know, I've done a degree in, I don't know, it could be history or English, and I've kind of walked out and I've had a couple of jobs, but actually this this venture capital concept is really interesting for me. Um I I think I'm a problem solver. In fact, I know I'm a problem solver because I've, you know, I can prove it for X, Y, and Z that I've done in my current company. What would be your advice to somebody who's trying to break into the venture capital industry um, without having that prior experience? Mm -hmm. What's great about, 
you know, there's just so many resources these days. You can find information for founders, for career aspirations. There are, there are a ton of resources. Um, you know, online I've seen, uh, and I should call out John Gannon. He has this amazing blog and newsletter. When I was trying to get <laughs> break into VC, which is not easy, by the way, I read his blog religiously. He literally has aggregated different articles from different VCs about how I started my career in VC. Oh. And so everyone has a different path. For me, I, I did have a traditional finance path in, in many ways, which is something that leads into a venture capital type of career. But I've seen people who are from the product side, from marketing, from sales, from ops, from you name it, a lot of different career paths uh, going into VC. And, and honestly, it, it, what, what gets you in the door is your obsessive passion with working with startups yeah. and that obsession of, of being so interested in learning everything about these different industries, different startups, different trends, even different um, people in the industry, mm. understanding who's in the ecosystem is super, super important. I mean, one of the things that I do also, I will never stop doing if I'm in, <laughs> in, in my career is constantly meeting people, making new connections, networking. Yeah. And in venture capital, that is one of your biggest assets. Your network is one of your biggest assets because I can call on so many of my first connections for deal referrals, co-investment opportunities, marketing opportunities, events, all kinds of things. And I can also leverage those connections to get an intro, warm intro to many of the second connections that I'm, I'm interested in meeting today and into the future. And, you know, as I get older in my career and more, um, in my, into my career, I find that the best way to actually approach relationships is to integrate both your professional and your personal relationships. And, uh, there's a, there's a ton of cool people professionally that I know. So why not be more involved with them on a personal level and don't be afraid to do things that are more meaningful than just an informational call or a coffee chat. Do do something beyond that. I, I love tennis, for example. I play tennis with some of my professional friends. Uh, I, you know, just to make, it, it honestly makes your life um, so much more joyful, yeah. <laughs> fulsome, because you actually enable yourself to be more authentic if you can be, you know, who you love in your career and who you are in real life together. Yeah. So I find that's actually um, really important too, as you develop in, into the, in the career path. Yeah. You, uh, you say you love tennis. I mean, my, uh, my go-to would always be karaoke dragging it. Yeah. <laughs> who doesn't like karaoke? <laughs> who, who, wouldn't who wouldn't feel relaxed yeah. and social and let loose at karaoke, yeah. you know? Yeah. 
it's a it's a, it's a good uh what, what's the word i'm looking for the um icebreaker it's a fantastic icebreaker hearing people uh really think that they can sing uh you know um, <laughs> it, it bonds you so. and we've been to karaoke together so yes yeah. <laughs> but you actually can sing so <laughs> no i cannot you can no i don't oh god no um so as you look back now, kind of where you are in your career and you see kind of all of the moves that you've made, what if you were to look back at your younger self, if you were starting again, is there anything that you would change or do differently looking back now? Yeah, yeah, I definitely. I think the, I was, I was conservative when I was younger. I, was, I definitely felt like I needed to follow a certain path and do things a certain right way. Mm -hmm. But as I see it now, there's not really a right way. People yeah. are discovering their path in many different ways. I've, you know, I was covering uh, web three blockchain um, for a bit at, at SAP and I would go to these conferences and all of these college dropouts or even kids in high school. And I'm like, how are you so advanced? How did you, how you didn't even go to college. You didn't even finish high school. You're already doing this internship. You're already speaking at this conference. You already launched your first, second startup. So, you know, I think for everyone, there is not a linear or correct path these days. There's just so much opportunity on online through AI, through different community forums and yeah. events and conferences. And I think if you just kind of be your authentic self and follow what you are passionate about, I think that is going to be honestly the best way to hitting your success and combining what you genuinely love and what you're genuinely good at and play on your strength because you know, even for, for, with myself, the best career achievements have been when I played on my strength and when I, um, when I ask for help or also ask for a promotion or ask for more, those are the opportunities that those are the times I was able to get more. So I think you just need to leverage what is good good for you and what you feel is to place to your best strength. Uh, and that's really the way to just kind of do well. And it doesn't need to be uh, a formula. It can really yeah. be a lot of different jigsaw pieces uh, in, in this day and, and, and for our Gen Z's and you know, millennials yeah. now. Yeah. It, in those moments where you asked for more, where you took the plunge and you, you know, you commanded the space that you wanted to have. Were there moments before you actually used your voice or before you actually asked for that promotion where you doubted that move? What, or I guess the question is, what was the catalyst to making you use your voice? to make those moves because I think more often yeah. than not we have these thoughts and we have these desires but we doubt ourselves and so we mute that voice inside of us rather yeah. than amplifying it and using it yeah yes yes I 
I only learned this because I didn't use my voice earlier in my career. I, as an investment banking analyst, I sat behind the desk. I was only female analyst in my group uh, for that, for when I started in, in my group. And I really, yeah, I, I learned the hard way because I didn't speak up. I didn't ask for help. I didn't ask for the projects I wanted. I felt behind in my mm. peer group and, uh, and that's, that happened. And I realized the difference between me and those guys were that they spoke up. They, they faked it until they made it. They were assertive. They were confident. They, um, made sure to have the FaceTime with the right people. And all of that, I didn't know early in my career because I did not have the mentorship or the training. My parents are professors. They were not hmm. one of my peers. His dad was a CFO of a public company that our Morgan Stanley took public. Obviously, he knows how to play the game. So I, I would say learn to play the game. Learn yeah. to play the game. And I think I actually learned it slowly uh, in, a, in the hard way. But... Anyways, you, you know, hopefully you listen to this podcast and you learn to just do it and be more assertive now because no one will help. Well, no one will ask to give you a promotion other than yourself. Only yeah. you can help yourself. So even if you don't think <laughs> you deserve it or, you know, all of that, you deserve it. So you should just go for it because if you're in that seat and you're speaking at that event and you were invited to that conference, you probably deserve a seat there more than most of the male counterparts around you. And so actually, I think 100% you do because women have this sort of uh, fear that they're not good enough, but honestly, we are. So just believe in yourself and surround yourself with good people that that lifts you up too. And that, and then that will help bring out the confidence in you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Cause that, I, I feel like I should send you an invoice cause <laughs> that, that was brilliant. Yeah. I, uh, and I think it's so powerful. All the things you said are so, so true. And, you know, women are powerful. We just need to believe in ourselves. I, I heard of this, um, it's kind of the encouragement cycle. So, you know, when you, uh, proactively uh, believe uh, and you give that kind of uh, confidence into somebody. So whether it's self affirmations or you're telling somebody else, or you're surrounding yourself with the people that are going to encourage you, you begin to believe and you're like, Oh, actually I can do this. And through that self belief, you start to put your hand up more. You start to use mm -hmm. your voice more because you develop right. confidence. And from right. there, it's kind of a feeding loop because then yeah. I'm developing more confidence and right. it's right. It's, you know, it, and the way I kind of imagine it is like a rose and how that rose kind of grows and it expands. Yes. And petal, it yes. grows out. I just, I think it's so yes. beautiful um, when women do use their voices. And I think that was also a big driver for, for this podcast to be able to say actually I think women who have reached a certain level um we as a community have a duty to give back and really help lift others to, yes. to get that seat at the table yes and mm -hmm. I I like to call it um because you said learn how to play the game I call it the career chessboard because I think the career ladder mm -hmm. is misleading yes 
um, because you're not always <laughs> just going upwards. You're actually going to no. have to strategically play no. that. There's game even downwards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> downwards yeah. and upwards and flat you and all over, left and yeah. right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so what's next for you? We're, we're at Diageo now and you're, you know, you're loving life there with some really cool um, brands and accelerator programs that you've got going on. Yeah. But what's next? You know, we're, we're coming towards the end of 2023 now. What are you looking forward to next year? There's, there's a lot going on in my, <laughs> in my role. Um, I was alluding to the, we, you know, we're doing a technology startup accelerator program, which is also really exciting for me. I've had a long career in, in tech. And so for us to say, Hey, at Diageo, we actually recognize we need a lot of digital innovation. Super exciting. If there are, you know, in your viewership, there's startups that are working on tech technology for CPG brands like ours. It's a really great opportunity um, to work with Diageo teams and myself, get mentorship, get exposure, get potentially a pilot with us. That's something I'm working on that's really exciting at Diageo. I mentioned, you know, we are doing a lot in non-ALK, non-ALK, low-ALK. Uh, we know the health, the holistic trends <laughs> that are going on throughout the world. So that is a very exciting project that I'm working on uh, that I think will also exponentially help us reach different consumers everywhere, help them celebrate life everywhere. That's our slogan. And on the personal front, uh, as you know, I am a beach goer. I live in yeah. South beach of Miami. Um, I being outside, being active just gives me a ton of joy. I, I'm getting into, besides tennis, uh, ultimate frisbee, <laughs> beach volley, beach volleyball. Um, so making sure that I continue to create that balance in my life yeah. where I'm not just sitting at desks, but I'm also um, out, outdoors. Um, and that, you know, surround myself with good people, like, like I mentioned, hopefully spending some more time with my uh, family and loved ones in in the near future during the holidays and, and next year and maybe doing some travel. That's what I'm excited about. Well, we'll definitely have to do some sport and some Frisbee next time I come to Miami. That'll definitely be on the itinerary. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I guess my final question to you, is something I love to ask every guest that comes on to in her shoes. It's in that moment where you're feeling your most powerful, whether you're about to go deliver a keynote or you're about to go and uh, have a really important board conversation uh, with a startup. What are the shoes that you wear in that moment? That's a very open-ended question. <laughs> Do you mean literal shoes? Literal <laughs> shoes. <laughs> okay. Oh, I thought you meant... <laughs> Like a, you know, how, how a, a you persona, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, like Beyonce, when she goes and do, does a show, she has a, she creates a hero complex yeah, in does. her head yeah. when she goes on stage. I thought that's what you, but yeah, yes, exactly. So actual shoes, actual shoes. I, depends on the weather, some more board meetings are in cold weather, in which case I'll wear black boots. Uh, if it's warm weather, 
I'll wear some sandals, heeled sandals. And if it's a New York meeting, which is usually more buttoned up, I will wear stiletto heels. There she goes. See, I asked the question and I love to ask the question because I've had so many different answers. One of them I thought was really interesting. Um, I interviewed a lady called Bowie. Um, she's a partner at a venture firm in in Europe called Target Global. Uh, you guys would really get on, actually. I'd love to make an intro for, for you both. Great. But she... Mm-hmm. Um, I asked her the question and she said to me, you know, for years, I spent so much money on heels and I have this whole wardrobe full of stilettos I just don't wear anymore because now I actually prefer to wear trainers um, and I prefer to wear sneakers trainers because when I'm walking from meeting to meeting in a sea of men, I need to be nimble. I need to move. Yes. I need to be yes. She's I was like, right. I love that. She's, She's so right. right. Yeah. So, but it, it is interesting because uh, I'm a tale of, I guess, a tale of two because I do love heels, especially. They just give me that that feeling of height and poise and confidence. But then I also mm-hmm. do just love a good sneaker. I'm a, I'm a New Balance girl through and through. So just uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. very stylish. Yeah. Yes. Well, honestly, thank you so much. I think you are such a remarkable woman. I have been a huge fan of you ever since we met um, through our time working together, me as a partner for SAP, but you actually at SAP. And I'm just so grateful that you've been able to share just some of your experience, expertise with us today. Uh, and yeah, thank you, for, thank you for all the time. And hopefully I'll see you soon in a warmer country. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I very mutually respect and think you're amazing and i'm just so glad we were able to connect and become friends through all of the work integration that we've done